and welcome back to the rewind i'm josh and this is a podcast where i watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends today's episode is about both puss in boots the last wish and a man called otto joining us today the mama luna of the rewind it's daniel lima daniel what's going on oh it's a beautiful night it's a beautiful night thank you for you know inviting me and also joining us is our animation correspondence but also our tom hanks correspondence it's joe morgan joe thank you for being here fear me if you dare <laughs> oh um, man if i have a perfect opportunity for me i've done the whistle how stupid of me oh well, you blew it uh th- we're gonna start with puss in boots the last wish it's the uh long long awaited sequel to 2011's puss in boots i have it right joe yeah 2011 yeah yeah that's right B- based on antonio banderas's title character who uh we first met in the shrek movies and uh but you know got a movie that did pretty well in the original puss in boots but you know took him uh i guess almost you know, a little over 11 years to make another one. And uh, this movie has been really well received. So I I don't think it was really on anyone's radar about like five months ago. But, you know, uh, here we are. This thing's going to make hundreds of millions of dollars off a $90 million budget. That everyone thinks looks great. So it's certainly one that we decided uh, was worth talking about. This movie, uh, it, it follows uh, Puss in Boots himself from the get-go. He's hosting, you know, a bacchanalia that would have made Damien Chazelle jealous. He's kind of it's at the it's it's you know it's at someone's house that's a higher up shouldn't be there uh gets away with it after even waking up some giant or something or another but then uh has a bell fall on him and he wakes up where a doctor informs him he's now he has just died he's used eight of his nine lives and he needs to you know consider hanging hanging up being a you know an, an outlaw and a hero and doing all this crazy stuff that he's so known for so he uh goes to a uh he retires to the house of a cat lady who who runs a cat sanctuary her name is mama luna uh and he's hanging out there living a very uh docile life and then crime family shows up goldilocks and the three bears voiced by olivia coleman um Florence Pugh and uh, Ray Winstone, amongst others. And uh, he hears him talking about a last wish, a wishing star they need to go capture and they can grant them a wish. And Puss in Boots says, that's my goal. I need to go do that to get more lives. And we get, then we're off on an adventure with him and another friend. And uh, we meet. And also uh, along the way, he reunites with uh, Kitty Softpaws, voiced by Selma Hayek, who we met in the first movie. And meet a lot of other fun, different characters along the way, including Death himself. I shouldn't have skipped over that because he has an encounter with Death before he goes off to the... Uh, before he goes off to the cat farm guy i guess i'll i guess i'll start with you jojo i mean as much as we talked about animated movies the last five years i never i don't think we've ever we really haven't had a reason to discuss this corner of the dreamworks universe uh been a while since there's another shrek movie uh again like we already said hasn't haven't had puss in boots since 2011 where are you at with uh with with where were you at with this character a few months ago did you have any fondness for the 2011 film or was it just kind of like oh well shrek's the gold standard that's just a thing they did and i'm just kind of curious like because it seems like this just came out of nowhere yeah, um, the 2011 film, I admit, I hardly remember at all. And um, at the time, I think I red boxed it and um, had a hard time getting through it. And not a, I'm not huh. even going to comment on the film because it's been it's been a decade since I've seen yeah. it. So for all I know, um, it could be some hidden gem that um, I need to revisit. But uh, I wasn't even aware this sequel was coming until like a handful of months ago. So. <laughs> Um, to say that it not to say that has been a pleasant surprise would be an understatement um because like I think this movie totally lives up to like the fun um of the character that we first got to see in Shrek 2. So you basically like just heard from people you trust like oh this thing's good such that you're just like I'm down to go see it because I've just heard such good things from people I trust that you didn't even feel the need to revisit this original one you didn't remember well. 
No, I just didn't think I needed to. I like all the conversation I'd seen about it was, Hey, this thing is awesome. It totally kicks ass. Like you need to go see it. And I was like, sure. Yeah, I'll go see it. I'm not even going to revisit the other one where Zach Galifianakis plays Humpty Dumpty. Um. <laughs> well, uh, so I, I guess I, I wasn't like against seeing it, but I was like kind of worried about going to see it without having watched the original before. And then Daniel's like, no, I love the movie. And I hadn't seen that one. I'm like, okay. But then I, I woke up funny enough. I woke up on my birthday and like, what am I going to do? I'm like, I wake up on my birthday. I'm like, all right, well, I don't have anything to do till I go see Puss in Boots, The Last Wish at like 110 or something. I may as well just watch the original. So I just woke up on my birthday, watched the original, <laughs> uh, went to lunch with our friends, Adam and Kayla, and then like saw Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. I watched two movies on my birthday, both of which involve Puss in Boots. Uh, <laughs> Daniel, uh, I mean, I, I don't really need to ask you a question about why you would go see something because you see just about everything. But I, but, but, but I, but I am curious. Like, I mean, you had a very, very, very uh, uh, strong reaction to this movie. Uh, what, what, what about it moved you so? Well, um, I have no real affinity for um, the character. You know, our, mm -hmm. I saw Shrek too. I liked it, but that's where it ended. I never saw the first movie, um, and I. You know, I had no idea. I mean, I knew this was coming out because, like, you know, I I, I keep up with you know the the the, the movies coming out over mm -hmm. the course of the year. But like when the trailer dropped, I didn't realize that this movie, like the talent going in, I didn't realize that. Um, I believe it has the involvement of some of the people who are associated with Enter the Spider Verse. Joe might be able to speak to that a little better than me. I know. Uh, I, I know at some point, at least like one of the directors of that was in line to direct this. Oh, okay. um, and then it went, ended up going to this guy, Joel Crawford, who I, I will admit I'm not very aware of. He did the Croods movie, I think. Um, was, it, was a story audit artist on the second Lego movie and been around doing that kind of thing for a while. Yeah. So he's been in the universe in the rate and the orbit of, you know, those guys who did the uh, enter the spider verse. And I didn't realize kind of the approach that they were going to take. Uh, and when I saw the trailer, I was like, this looks incredible. Like that's mm. really what sold me was the, honestly, the art design, uh, you know, the look of the film. Um, what was the last movie we were on together on Joe? Uh, I believe Elvis? we were on Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> it was on, okay. Elvis. Well, uh, on the animated movie, I know that we have talked animation. He does, he does spies in disguise. Oh, I don't know if there we go. There yeah. we go. Yeah. That well, was, that was like the, one of the last things any of us might've seen pre pandemic actually, but I, I don't well, know. Maybe not for me. Cause I see a lot, but um, the, um, <laughs> but you know, when I think about animation, I've always kind of lamented sort of like the kind of, standard style like the pixar look that is um you know so ubiquitous in animation or had been so ubiquitous in animation but this past year 2022 we saw like a bunch of films that kind of followed in the wake of you know the the lego movie and um especially into the spider-verse you know we saw a bunch of movies that took pains to deviate from like that kind of standard kind of grounded in realism and a certain sort of realism or, you know, in a certain sort of how physics work, you know, we had this spat of animated films that really played with the format and started to experiment and do things that you just could not do in live action. They started to bend and stretch reality in the ways that you could only do in an animated world. And seeing the kind of watercolor, like painting-like animation art style of uh, The Last Wish in the trailer, I was like, this movie, I mm. think I'm going to have a lot of fun with. 
So I wish I was, I, I just understood the medium a little better because I, I didn't realize it had been so long since Joe had seen it. And one thing I, as I was kind of reading some other reviews of it that people said was like, oh no, they really leveled up with this as far as actually changing the animation style. And like I said, I watched the original like just hours before I went and saw this one, but honestly didn't pick up that much different. I thought it looked great, but I, if, if you're asking me to compare why I thought that looked so great coming out of it, when I compared to the earlier one, I might've been like, well, I saw the second one in the theater. Uh, so, uh, I, I really didn't really pick up on anything beyond that, but like, I, I was certainly kind of impressed by it and I can see what you mean, Daniel, about it just feeling different. I, maybe I might not have, I might not have the same level of Pixar fatigue that you did, but I was, I, I certainly like probably did feel something a little more vibrant as I was watching this. Uh, Joe, did, uh, was there any kind of, uh, was there anything about the movie visually that struck you as someone that, uh, didn't see it in the theater, but I think might have a little bit more of an eye for this than I do. Well, one thing that's interesting is if you look at like the advent of animation styles in the feature space, like mm-hmm. at the beginning, if you go to the beginnings of hand-drawn animation with Snow White, like Walt Disney's big thing was like, we are striving for realism. We want this to look as real as possible. And the humans are going to have realistic proportions, like all this stuff. Right. And then when Toy Story came out, um, they made the movie about toys because the computer animation textures looked very plastic. Right. And so Pixar was on this long wind of like, let's make things look as realistic as possible, as realistic as possible. And everybody was copycatting. And I feel like, you know, speaking to what Daniel was talking about, we we finally have gotten away from that in industry as a whole. And I think specifically DreamWorks has had a really nice year between Mm. guys and this movie where they have really kind of adopted a different look. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't see that actually. Um, Oh yeah. The bad guys was really good. Yeah. You should check out the bad guys. Um, Dreamers has had a great year. And one thing too is I love how this movie kind of changes the screen around the characters too. Like specifically like Puss and Boots' uh, panic attack is such a gripping sequence because you kind of get those POV shots where like the environment is like pulsating and pushing back and forth in ways that are just, you know, you can achieve that effect in live action, sure, but just not nearly with the beauty and like the the feeling that you get it here. And then obviously the fight sequences too, where we get those extreme close-ups and like the different angles and like the what like the way they use line art on the screen and all that stuff. Like it just looks amazing too. You know, like and not not to mention it's just a great story, but like just they they really use the medium of animation to like really heighten like all these moments and these emotions and stuff. And so that's something I really dug. And actually, um, you know, I, we will talk about the story in a little bit, but uh, going to the visuals, it's one of those things where, like, I think that now that animators feel like they have carte blanche to, like, kind of do what they want to do, now you see a lot more dynamism in, like, the virtual camera. I still don't really know how cinematography works in an animated film. Like, <laughs> I, I assume that it's a lot of, like, it's pretty much all, um, you know. Yeah, storyboarding, and you kind of figure out the shots like there before you start animating. Um, But I do feel like now because of the kind of like freedom given to animators to kind of go wild, like you're seeing stuff like, you know, in the the fight scenes, for example, you know, they're going to 12 frames per second. They're, you know, using the camera, making the camera move in ways that even if it was like somehow live action, you just could not replicate like joe yeah. said you know there are you know they're doing like you know the the, the sort of anime lines to convey like movement <laughs> and intensity and you know taking all these you know uh deviations from like how animators v- manipulated the camera in like you know the past 20 years that are just making this so much more vibrant and exciting to watch uh i mean i i'm 
genuinely astounded by every single frame of this movie. <laughs> You're making me excited to actually go back and watch again. I mean, maybe if I'm, uh, you know, I I'm, I could probably pick up on a few more of these types of. Uh, yeah. and, and I should say, I should say that like um, the, there's also the fact that this film in particular is taking a lot of cues from like spaghetti westerns. Like they specifically, uh, the director specifically said that he was very inspired by spaghetti westerns, and you can definitely see that in like the stylish like zooms and the you know the close-ups and you know uh, the way that this film is edited and how shots are framed. Uh, you know, I'm you you get that vibe it, down to like even the characterization of some of these people like death. For example, the wolf, <laughs> fucking like, scary. you know, that fucking terrifying whistle like that is like if I've ever seen one like that's something that like it must be in some spaghetti Western that's I'm forgetting the name of right now, because <laughs> I mean, the, the incorporating like, you know, taking cues from other forms of cinema in ways that, you know, animation, I don't think has really done like in like through like the Pixar era, you know, um, I'm really appreciative of the swings that this film takes. Something, I mean, aside from just being taken with it visually, did something, did you connect to something about this? Uh, did you, was there something you connected to with this cat just having like an existential crisis for a couple hours? Like uh, what really uh, worked for you in that regard? Just this guy who like, we kind of pick up with him and it's in, again, you, you don't really have the same prior relationship with him that some more animation diehards might. So what got you, what, what got you really into the story? Uh, it, it, was there a certain point in the movie where you kind of like, Oh, like I, this is something that I'm actually a little more into than just having fun looking at. Well, that was the other part of the trailer that kind of got me on board mm-hmm. is that, you know, like I could see that the plot was that, you know, Puss in Boots is down to his last life. Cause you know, he's a cat and cats have nine lives. Very cute concept. I've got to <laughs> admit. And, uh, now he's, you know, trying to get a restock on that, on that, those lives. Mm-hmm. Um, through this like magical wish thing. And, you know, he gets his own little team going and, you know, goes on a big adventure where he's interacting with all these people. I, I will admit that like, you know, you know me, like one of my pet subgenres is the old man reconciling with his past. Which and we're about to do again. And, and yeah, more, and, more detail. And in a way, this film kind of, gets to that he's basically an old like, man i mean i don't know how many i don't know how cat lives worth versus, versus pretty dog much lives, pretty yeah. much he's taking stock of the lives that he's led and he has this desire for like there to be more to life and the the film is sort of like a journey to discovering like what the value that his one life does hold uh in many ways this has been like a recurring theme to a lot of films this past year um i mean everything everywhere all at once that is that is the the plot of that movie. And, you know, I, I, I did find something very emotionally resonant in that, you know, in spite of the fact that, yeah, he's an, he's a swashbuckling cat. Um, I couldn't help but feel some sort of uh, resonance, some sort of affinity to his struggle. Joe, one of the things I always like to bring up on almost every single episode, animated episode we do is like uh, just how, how effective a movie, uh, an animated movie ends up being in aim- in its aims towards both adults and kids. And Daniel just talked about how one could appreciate this movie as an old man uh, uh, reflecting on his life. So not all, not automatically something like a little kid's going to be totally into you. You are you are now a father of two. I think you're within a couple years of really being able to like watch your kids really appreciate this these kinds of movies. What do you what do you think this movie did really like? Or first of all, if you have any other, if you want to add anything Daniel said, please do. As far as what worked for you with regards to like Piss and Boots reflecting on his life, but at the same time, how do you think the movie did in like handling a subject matter like that, but also like you know putting things on the screens that the kids are going to laugh at. Yeah. So um, just to 
echo some of what Daniel said, the um the depiction of death is so chilling. And yeah. it's like the best like, would you would you want your kid like having that thing menacing at you like when she's four or five years old? Like well, I'll say this. I'll say this. I appreciate when these movies don't talk down the kids. I think kids are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. And sure. there is there tends to be this tendency to simplify or to like not necessarily condescend, but just kind of like, you know, really trying to just make it more juvenile. And I think that a lot of kids can handle this. I mean, can my 19 month old really understand what's going on with this? Not really, but <laughs> like overall, like I really enjoyed it. The movie was just like, Hey, like this is a real thing that people deal with. And here's Puss and Boots going through this thing. And we trust you to follow along with the story and to empathize or, or no, not to empathize to your young children, but to sympathize with him, you know, and like really go along on this journey with him. And kids can't necessarily relate with the like last day's mortality bit of it, but they can certainly kind of latch on with the fact that they have to make the most of their life and that there are people in their life who are older and who may be seeing the end of days and kind of maximizing that time. Or the, or the importance of like finding your own makeshift family or friends. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's where, um, that's where Perito's uh, arc really comes into play too, right? Yeah. She <laughs> mentioned Perito was voiced by Harvey Guillen, who you might know if you watch uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, just a, mm-hmm. an, a, really a pretty great voice performance where he's so not as well known as a lot of the other voices that are in this movie, but kind of stands out. Mm-hmm. So like ultimately like this, this movie really respects its audience. And that's something I can really appreciate. Like Joe said, it doesn't talk down to the audience, uh, despite the fact that they're kids. And I do appreciate like uh, Pinocchio, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, was another film that, uh, you know, dealt with death in very stark terms. They didn't sugarcoat anything. And I felt that the film was all the more stronger for it. And honestly, if I were a child, I could imagine myself being drawn to the movie for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the fact that these films aren't, you know, they don't position themselves as like for babies or for children, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. They're able to grapple with these sorts of questions, too. These are questions that children do have. And the fact that they're able to do so in this very, very dynamic and fun package, uh, I think, speaks to the strength of the film. Yeah. Kind of talk around the overall themes and just the, the look of the movie a little bit. What do you think of the uh, the story once we got going with respect to like the actual plot and uh, this idea of like him going to find another wish? but teaming up along the way like did was the animation writer and you impressed with how they kind of like you know held all of this together because there's actually like kind of a lot going on that they're kind of like they're really jumping around to like a lot of different things in here and juggling a lot of different storylines between between the bears between this uh this is this john mulaney character between uh the uh the, the team friendship like it, it is it is juggling a lot uh what, what were your overall thoughts on like how this movie actually did when it like focused and became like a, a mission movie yeah you know um the Shrek series as a whole, I feel like has been pretty uneven and kind of mastering their fairy tale references, you know, like it works really well in some of the entries and not so well in the others. I'm not going to get into the details of that. Um, all I'll just say is I feel like it was executed quite nicely here. I saw Goldilocks and the three bears included. And I was like, Hey, like that's like a pretty neat inclusion. And um, I like the universality of a wishing star. I think it's something that it's, it's like one of the things that is pretty well known and it kind of has that magic to it. And it's pretty simple to explain, right? Like we get Antonio Banderas on the microphone for about 10 seconds there and he explains what it is. And we're like, mm-hmm. okay, get it. Um, Her way. Yeah. And um, yeah. So like, I, I really enjoyed that. They gave Goldie an arc too. You know, I think that's nice about, and it, and it kind of ties into with the, um with the ultimate arc of Puss and Kitty Softpaws and um, Perito, right? It's that whole, like, found family and chosen family and kind of, you know, 
Goldie dis- like discovers that she's had the family that she's yearned for for so long all the while. And yeah, it's a little warm and fuzzy and sappy and corny and stuff. But, you know, like that's important life stuff. Just because we've heard it a thousand times doesn't mean it doesn't have any less value. So I want I will say that to that point, um, I was thinking about how I have not seen the Shrek movies. I only saw the first two, but I've seen the. I haven't seen them in like forever. Right. And mm-hmm. I don't imagine to be honest. I'm not, sure I, re- that, I'm not sure I even realized there were more than two. Yeah. There's like five of those motherfuckers. And um, I don't know that I would, I would enjoy them quite as much if I went back to them today, because they are, you know, like the, the, the trademark DreamWorks sort of humor, where it's just kind of a bunch of like rapid fire references. And this, I, I don't know that that would have aged too well, mm-hmm. but um, I look to this film and, uh, you know, the references, they tend to be kind of sly. They tend to be kind of understated. Small references like, you know, like Jack Horner will have like, you know, like a random bit from like a fairy tale, like, you know, stashed away in his office. Like it's going to be used as a weapon. Like I think at one point he pulls out like uh, Mary Poppins br- uh, umbrella yeah. or something like that. And it's just a side event, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it stays very rooted in the story and it doesn't take too much time to go and start, I don't know, riffing in the way that we're so used to seeing. Um, I did actually quite appreciate that. Granted, there are some jokes that I think, you know, th- those ones are for the kids. But then there's other jokes like, uh, you know, Puss in Boots, like going to eulogize himself. And he says, you know, there's no words that can say how sorrowful uh, we all feel about, you know, the death of Puss in Boots. And he walks away and comes back. But it'd be a shame not to try. Like, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of fun little, you know, like uh, the entire montage of Puss in Boots going into retirement and trying to act like a cat. Um, And he's like, hello. I mean meow like you know I, I can't help it like it's very charming uh as are these characters i gotta say this is one of the strongest voice casts that i've seen in an animated film this year everyone's pretty incredible right yeah mm-hmm. the part that made me laugh the most and it's like another small just like quick thing was like just him sitting at a bar and drinking like a milk like it's a beer like, i don't know why that, that that would never like not make me laugh and the fact that like he's like get me the heavy cream and he's like oh. and, the, and the bartender says oh i keep the heavy stuff in the back and he goes into the back that's the kind of humor that like that's the kind of the, the kind of jokes that this film takes that like it's so good like that is depth track writing that's good joke telling but yeah, no, the cast of this film, I got to say, like, you know, truthfully, Antonio, he's good and Salma is good, but I'm very surprised and, and pleasantly so by the supporting cast. And I guess it also goes down to the writing because uh, Perito, the dog who, mm-hmm. you know, is just this bundle of sunshine, he's pretty much in any other movie would be just the comic relief character, like um, something yeah. like uh, like what the snowman in Frozen, who I find incredibly well, annoying. <laughs> um, but uh, that's also because he's played by Josh Gad. If you're listening to this, Josh, I find you annoying. But um, the Jeez, but, Josh Gad catching a stray in the room. <laughs> but, but but I will say that this character normally I find very aggravating, and yet here um, there's a I suppose maybe it's part of it is that there's a there's a darkness to the character. The, yeah. the, the fact that the characters acknowledge him as being annoying, but then as you know, as the film itself gets darker he remains this kind of, you know, ball of sunshine, this ball of positivity. You kind of understand why he wins them over. Correct. And as you're being won over, they're being slowly won over. And like, it just, that's deft writing. And like the performance is just kind of very joyous. Um, Mm -hmm. The entire 
uh, Goldilocks family, um, yeah. especially Ray Winston doing the Ray Winston thing is just too good. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that when he's first introduced, he's like um, Goldilocks is like sicking him on this old cat lady and she's like, <laughs> make her talk. And he goes and goes into her face, starts growling and he goes in this Cockney accent, like, excuse me, miss, we're looking for this cat. I was hoping that you could hear you know, it. clever. <laughs> and I end up John Mulaney, man, John oh, Mulaney. Man is so much fun as big Jack Horner, not little Jack Horner. He graduated big Jack Horner as this just absolute piece of shit villain. Um, just I was like fun. so confused. He has such a distinctive voice too. I was like, wait, why is John Mulaney in this? Is it, is it so different from just about everyone else that was in this movie? He's like a real actor and not American aside from Harvey Keaton, really. And I was just like, I was like so confused. Like, wait, why John Mulaney? Uh, but yeah, he, he got, this is a very repugnant character to place in a children's movie for sure. Yeah, and Jiminy Cricket's like, you're not going to shoot a cat in a dog in the face. <laughs> yep. In the face. Like, you know, <laughs> just joyfully, joyfully, you know, doing so. And on that note, I think I've got to say, I, I, I'm, I can't believe I overlooked this for my personal supporting actor ballot. Oh, um, uh, whoever plays that fucking cricket, man, <laughs> Kevin McCann, that man. I mean, he's doing just a pure Jimmy Stewart impression as he's like this cricket trying to like break through to Big Jack Horner's conscience and he finds there's nothing there. And the, the, the level of like disgust and anguish that this guy puts into his Jimmy Stewart impression, man, it's just too fun. Apparently he's credited as a, he's credited as ethical bug. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. That's funny. Um, definitely the best uh, ethical, conscious speaking cricket that I saw this year. Yeah, that's a shot at Pinocchio. Oh, damn. We're going to have to. That's a shot at Pinocchio. Yeah. I can't help myself. Jeez. Oh, we, we just sang the praises of that movie a couple weeks ago on here. I don't, um, I don't, I, I like Pinocchio, but I'm just saying that it's more a testament to how much I loved the uh, the characters and, and this film in general. Joe, uh, did you did you have any other feelings on any of the other supporting characters? Daniel just kind of ran through most of them, but wanted to make sure if you had any other shout outs there before we just kind of wrapped up with any other thoughts we had in the ending. Uh, gonna echo the Mulaney praise. He was mm-hmm. fantastic, and he had like the perfect like little whining tone to his voice, which was just perfect for the character. I thought, and then, um, yeah, I mean, just overall, the cast was just great. They just oh, were not so sorry, Wagner Mora, for uh, the as the wolf. <sighs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think I, I think just everything that went in, like you, I mean, you already talked about this, some of the uh, different ways it kind of like uh, both of you guys, I guess, talk, touched on a little bit, just how they throughout the animators, like, I mean, were able to just convey the panic that Puss in Boots was feeling in those moments when he showed up. But at the same time, like, I mean, uh, you, you can get everything right around that. But then if that, that guy does, if, if that thing doesn't sound menacing, it, what, what's it all for at the same time? So uh, I, I I certainly was just like very disturbed and was like, geez, this is like, this is, I mean, I, I get it, Joe. I, maybe I need to stop like being so concerned for the kids. Uh, but like I, I, maybe, maybe when, when I'm that scared myself, I can't help but think about the kids, you know? Uh, I, <laughs> they don't I, need your protection. I know, I know. The I know. kids are all right. Yes, they, indeed they are. Yeah, it just, uh, it just yeah, every, everyone did what was asked of them just like incredibly well. I mean, I I don't know if you necessarily, I mean, I, I, I definitely kind of agree. Like the, the, the Ray Winston stuff was funny, but I, and I honestly forgot that was Olivia Coleman for a bit. I mean, like, sure, why not get Olivia Coleman if you can get it? But I actually like, uh, I actually really did enjoy Florence Pugh as Goldilocks. I mean, again, like they, they did devote a decent amount of time to them, uh, even though like they weren't really the, the main characters in the movie. But like in her limited time, I think you really, they, you really did kind of feel like 
uh, Goldilocks' whole arc, and like uh, they spent they spent enough time with them that you kind of got what her connection was uh, to the bears and why it, it might mean something for her to like uh, make the decision she uh, feels like she needs to make towards the end, and them still helping her and all that. Like I don't know, it was just impressive, and I, I think her voice performance was like uh, did make that feel like a real uh, a, a, a pretty well developed character that actually had limited screen time if you were to probably look at it. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, I think we already kind of talked about, uh, we already touched a little bit on the, on the ending too, but like, I think when you guys are talking about just everything they were able to accomplish visually and, uh, for, and I have not watched a lot of anime from some of what I, some, from some of what I've read, it seems like probably that last sequence in the, whatever you want to call it, the glacial pit, or I don't know, uh, some people thought some parts of that might've like maybe leaned a little bit more on some of the movies, anime influences, but I'm, I'm wondering, Joe, like, uh, was there anything else about, about that last sequence that stood out to you? Cause I mean, uh, that was pretty ambitious. I mean, I think, you know, shit, it's, I mean, we're still within the same Oscar season, but I mean, I guess it's been almost a year since we talked about turning red. I remember us being pretty impressed by how they kind of like, you know, all of a sudden went to the scale of something like that big, uh, that big stadium sequence there. Yeah. But I think this, this isn't totally dissimilar, but obviously has its own distinct animation style. So what did you like about how this movie was able to kind of like pull off its big shebang? It felt appropriately epic, you know, um, I feel like nailing the ending is something that um, of these big action movies is something hard to do. I feel like Marvel doesn't really nail the endings quite as often as we'd like them to. Uh, Whereas this felt like, oh, damn, like he is going to face down death and we got this cool red fire around and puss in boots like, you know, he achieves his emotional arc in the way that allows him to face this external foe. Right. I mean, and like, I don't know, like the the small little knife that Kitty softball gives him. Like he ends up using that with his um, little thin sword. I don't know the name of it. I'm not going to embarrass myself. It's a rapier rapier. Thank you. And he like learns to fight with the two things. Right. But like, you know, emotional. That's good, yeah. That's good action screenwriting where you're like yeah. incorporating like the plot and, you know, the storytelling that had gone before it, like into the action. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just like, Oh man, like Goldie, like abandoning the, map and her wish in order to go save her little brother from being sucked out of the magical star vortex or whatever we're going to call that thing you know i mean just like i mean we have the you know as i as i tell my screenwriting students all the time you know we have like the internal story is accomplished which allows us to um, get the external goal that we've set out to get at the beginning of the script i thought those two things coalesced very nicely there and it looked amazing too so i was down with it and also, like, the fact that ultimately he doesn't actually defeat death, you know? Right. Like, you can't defeat death, but you can make your peace with it. You can, you know, choose to continue to fight, you know, or to, you know, continue to persevere regardless of knowing that you can't win. Yes. You know, I, I I do. I think it's genuinely thematically rich and beautiful. Yeah. I'm actually... I'm actually truthfully, it's playing on the TV as I'm talking. Uh, <laughs> it is It is absolutely, like, probably one of the best finales of the past year. Well, in turn, it's, it's kind of, I, I like that's final uh, decision. It's himself where he's like, you kind of just, you're conditioned maybe to expect like a, a more traditional winner and loser in, in, in when you get a, a showdown like that. And he's like, yeah, this isn't nearly as fun to take you out when you're not being the selfish, arrogant prick you were before. Is yeah. and, and just like call, c- c- calling it calling it a day. I mean, I guess they they still kind of have to like go go back after a Horner after that who reemerges. But like, I mean, we, death was just far more scary than anything John Mulaney could do uh, throughout the whole time. So <laughs> I I, I kind of respected the choice there to end it like they did. Um, I don't know, Joe. Any anything else about this movie we didn't talk about yet that you want to touch on? 
Um, all I'll say is, uh, since since um, y'all are not familiar with the Shrek movies, I'll just do an impromptu ranking real quick. Okay. Uh, number one, of course, is Shrek 2, um, which should have won Best Picture of the Year. It came out. Really? Uh, number two is this movie, uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Hmm. Uh, number three is Shrek. Uh, number four is a universe where we did not get any of these. Um, number five is Shrek Forever. And uh, <laughs> number six, I'll throw the original Puss in Boots. And then number seven, I will put um, Shrek the Third, which is better just forgotten. So, man, you're being pretty rough on the original Puss in Boots. I'll say it was a fine time. Yeah, you can tell it's a, <laughs> you can tell it's not a, not a, not quite as special as uh, this movie. But like, it wasn't like, oh my god, this is just like I I didn't, I didn't like I, I, right after seeing this, I wasn't like, oh my god, that first one was trash or anything like that. But I did not realize that that was like a, an opinion people felt that strongly about. Like, uh, Shrek 2 being that good, but I'm, I'm okay. Oh, yeah, no, no, it's very, very popular. Um, I will say that, like, I watched that a shit ton. We had that on mm. DVD. I don't think we had the first one on DVD. We had the second, we had the first one on VHS, second one on DVD. Yeah, I ran through all those special features. You know, I ran through the Far, Far Away Idol. Oh, of course. You know, I, uh, you know, I ran through everybody winning and then Simon Cowell looking at the one that you voted on and going, mm-hmm. oh, for heaven's sake, it's me, everyone. And he starts singing uh, my way, um, <laughs> you know, um, and I will say that like that. Is, I mean, this is total tangent, but that is the uh, I think the first time that I ever heard David Bowie music was in um, <laughs> was it, I, the first time I heard changes was in Shrek 2 and also the uh, that final like montage action scene where they're trying to get to the the castle and uh the the fairy godmother is singing um what's it called i need a hero, need a hero. yeah like <laughs> it's oh man that, that's genuinely one of my favorite scenes in an animated film i can't lie it's just funny, incredible yeah. needle drops it's like funky town when they first get the car far away like it's oh just- yeah 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 and the white Bronco thing. Oh, man. I, mean, I, can't, I can't. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's still funny to me. Man, it looks like that's uh, that's on uh, it's on Peacock. I might I might have to go do that because I mean, I, I'm sure I watched it at some point. Just nothing I can ever say I rewatch. But it's interesting that that one and the original Shrekker are, are about the same on Rotten Tomatoes. But uh, Shrek 2, 69 percent with the audience, whereas the original Shrek a lot higher. So uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Whereas the Puss in Boots Last Wish, pretty unimpeachable on Rotten Tomatoes, 95, 94. Uh, so uh yeah i think it has gone soft in my opinion (laughs) yeah yeah i think that i'm more excited when i see a movie has like a 70 percent of rotten tomatoes than when something has like a 96 (laughs) there you go well this was this was one where you did agree with the consensus so you got to live with the fact that you don't get to be contrarian on this one uh but uh that is supposed to be the last wish well uh be in contention uh at the oscars for uh best animated feature i think i think another movie joe and i talked about a couple weeks ago and guillermo de torres pinocchio might have the pole position for that but, you know, uh, it's pretty cool that like a, a sequel like this is, comes out of nowhere and crashes the party like that is uh, it, it's it's cool. They were able to recognize how uh, good this movie was and didn't just write it up and gave it a chance. You know, um, let's we're going to move on to A Man Called Otto, uh, which is the uh, which is the newest movie uh, from uh, director Mark Forster, but more importantly, producer and producer Tom Hanks and star Tom Hanks uh, also produced it with his uh, wife, Frida Wilson. Uh, it is a, kind of a, a third generation adaptation and that like you yeah. know there is a swedish movie uh, a man called ove which is uh based on a novel uh that had come out a couple years before but a man called ove was one of the uh nominees for best foreign film at the academy awards in 2000 for the 2015 movie season 2016 ceremony uh but it's tom hanks decided hey let's like bring make this thing happen in america and uh more power to him got a 50 million budget 50 million dollar budget to do that so uh tom hanks somehow keeps making this happen uh and i mean we're gonna get to the fact that this was one that i even made it to uh but yeah 
yeah, it, it it tells the story of Otto Anderson. He's a 63-year-old widower, lives in suburban Pennsylvania. He he you can tell he's not at a great point in life. He's trying to uh he's trying to commit suicide because he recently again lost his wife Sonia, who we come to know was a school teacher. Uh, but he's interrupted by new neighbors when he's trying to hang himself in his dining room. Uh, his new neighbors uh are uh, Marisol, played by um uh, Mariana Trevino and uh, her her husband, who I mean, I, I Tommy, who I just like, I just got a kick out of. It is like she don't him the entire movie. It was just uh, it, was, it was really kind of funny because he seems like the really decent guy. Uh, he's played by uh, Manuel Garcia uh, Rulfo, uh, and he, he he just keeps getting uh, dragged to different parts of the neighborhood. Whereas we see, he's just kind of known as the Grump. He is just there, uh, you know, enforcing all these like you know uh arcane rules against his neighbors for their weird little gated community and uh says you can't walk there you shouldn't park there you need to close this gate that way uh those kind of things just a very big stickler for the rules it has become a grump we're not sure how long he's been like this but he's just not the most pleasant person to be around uh but we see uh maybe just maybe marisol is going to be able to get through to him and crack that facade Joe, I mean, I like to call you the Tom Hanks correspondent. We, you, you and Daniel and I did talk about Elvis last year. Uh, something that, like, uh, a Tom Hanks performance that I'm uh, much more happy to forget than Daniel, who apparently has him in his five for best supporting actor, uh, unironically. Uh, and, um, and Elvis was just like a big movie. People were going to see that movie regardless. This was one that, like, I feel like honestly could have just come and gone. Like, you know, like a handful of other Tom Hanks movies in the last couple of years where you're like, hey man, there's this Tom Hanks movie. It's on Apple. I don't know if you want to talk about it. I'll talk about it. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I'll get to it. And then I. I just don't do it. There's been like three or four of those in the last couple of years. I don't really know what our boy's off to doing, but he's just, he's just doing his own thing. As long as he's making money, I'm happy for him. But like uh, this one, like for a second, for, for a split second, it looked like there was some Oscar buzz. Like he might get in. I'm like, all right, maybe I should see this. I have the opportunity to go do it. Uh, pretty, pretty solid reviews uh, from more so from the, uh, from the audience on Ron Tomatoes, just like uh, uh, 69% from the critics, but like just the audience, like freaking loved it. I think it's like 90 90 something percent like i was just like all right this will maybe maybe just maybe i will this will do something for me and i will go see it and uh have another thing to talk to to talk with joe about and uh and then daniel piped in and is like but wait old man reckoning with the end of their life that's my thing too so uh we we we, we, we got daniel involved too little did i know that this guy uh was uh, would be taking in a cat as well so it made even a, a better one for daniel to join for uh but Joe, I'm I'm wondering. Uh, I, as someone who has a long relationship with Tom Hanks movies, I I came into this thinking like, man, like I know Tom Hanks is like America's dad. He is just so nice and so and, and just such a such a nice presence and such a uh, congenial fellow. Uh, and then I saw this trailer and I'm like, am I just am I going to be able to take this seriously? Am I really going to like? Am I just going to roll my eyes the whole time watching Tom Hanks trying to be this grumpy and mean? And I mean. Not that like I would ever believe that Tom Hanks is going to spend an entire movie grumpy and mean, but I just thought, like, is this going to be like, am I going to even buy the conceit of this? And I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't even know if I have that much to say about whatever else this movie is trying to say about the world, but I was pretty damn charmed by our boy Tom Hanks. Uh, what, what did you come out of this movie feeling like? I came out of this movie feeling like that we are all taking this man for granted. He <laughs> releases banger after banger after banger. <laughs> and- the like the flashpoint moment was when Captain Phillips came out and Tom just like acted his ass off. It was just incredible. It was awesome. And the Academy was like, eh, whatever, you know, just another great performance. You know, it's just like, oh, it just... they nominated him for like saving Mr. Banks. Right. But not for this. not even saving Mr. Banks. Oh, no, oh, oh, no, no. I forgot. He came back for uh, the won't you be my neighbor. Yes. Yeah. Which I mean, he, he was he was good as Walt Disney, too. And people mm-hmm. overlooked that. But regardless, like. I don't know what people want him to do. 
<laughs> Tom Hanks does his thing where he's like the genial America's dad guy, you know, and everyone's like, okay, been there, done that. We've seen it. And I'm like, okay. And so Tom Hanks is like, all right, I'm going to throw you off for loop. I'm going to do this Elvis movie and just give like the most batshit insane performance of my career and like completely do something that you're never going to forget, no matter how much you try, Josh. And, <laughs> and then he's like, I'm going to do a man called Otto where I'm complete ass like the entire movie until i finally come around and become that warm guy and i just think you know he's doing interesting things and just no one seems to care and it's just so aggravating like i don't know what else this guy is supposed to do because i i read one review and i won't name the critic because i don't want to feel like i'm dunking on just one person but it's like he's like i just couldn't really buy this movie because like Tom Hanks is such a friendly, nice guy. And like, you know, I just didn't really buy him being mean. And I'm just like, okay, well, you don't like him when he does, when he plays the hits, you don't like the new stuff. Like just stop engaging with it critically then. Like, I don't know what else to say. At that, at that point, I'd say that you have, because I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm with you on this. Like he is actually kind of acting against type, which is what you're supposed to want to see an mm -hmm. artist do. And yet you're digging points off the movie for like him doing it like at all, yeah. like attempting at all. Like I, I don't buy into that. And yes, I, I want to second everything that he just said on Tom Hanks in this film. I think he's doing a really good job. Um, you know, I, I really did genuinely buy into him. And I, admittedly, I feel like the film around him isn't as good as he is. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like the I feel like let me see. I, I hate to do this, like, you know, comparing it to another movie. But did you all see the two popes? Yes. Yes. So the two popes was a film, you know, it was like a kind of a two hander. Um, with um, who are the two guys, Jonathan Price and uh, Anthony Hopkins. Mm -hmm. um, the direction of that film and, and the script of that film sort of like undercut the performances of the actors, where instead of just allowing these two, you know, titans um, to just do what they do best, like you have a script that over explains their internality. You have direction that is, you know, kind of fussy and, you know, uh, in that case, fussy and energetic where it shouldn't have been. And in this case, kind of stayed and and cliche um, and where I'm like, bro, you've got Tom Hanks really actually giving it his all here. You could just if you just put the camera on this man's face, he will be able to sell this moment better than any line of dialogue but they would have a line of dialogue and that part I found disappointing, but yeah, Tom Hanks is genuinely really, really good at this. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, for, for a couple of reasons, I guess I, again, like I said, I, I, I just couldn't help but smile throughout the movie. Whenever you see them, people starting to get through to him. It's, it's, it's just charming. Another thing I think I connected it to it a little more on a personal level. And that like, in some ways, this guy reminds me of my grandpa who <laughs> he's a nice guy, but like, he does have some of the same, like, you know, tendencies to just kind of complain about the way things are these days, like, like any old person, but also my grandpa is incredibly handy. And if it, like, even if he might seem like kind of gruff on the exterior, you know, he, you, you'll, you'll know that he's like kind of an ultimately like decent guy. Cause he probably will fix that thing for that person next door and not even think twice about it. Like just, uh, it's, it's, it's just something, well, I mean, I would say Otto has to be like, kind of, he probably does think two or three times about it, but like you kind of <laughs> get the feeling he's ultimately going to do the thing just cause he wants to know the thing is working because that is a fact that that is a passion of his, as we come to learn is that he does have some kind of like real, uh, affinity for like seeing how things work and making things work. He's an engineer at heart. 
Uh, so I was just kind of like think because my like again my grandma she passed away like um in spring of 2018 but like it was it was after like a and it, it was after an, an illness but like not the same kind of thing that the character's wife here goes through like she lived a pretty full life until she spent the last six years of her life just basically almost confined to a home unless it was a doctor's appointment and my grandpa just did an admirable honorable job of t- really taking care of her and for a guy that was uh, in his like late 70s early 80s and it's like I it's just it's just kind of interesting like it, it was it was to me. Tom Hanks captured that kind of guy, a, a decent person that, you know, is going to do, who might not be like the most uh, warm person on the outside, but like you, 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 you can, you can, you totally buy that he would do something this honorable and he's going to like do things around the neighborhood to help out. Even if he's also going to complain while he's doing it in a way. And I think I was just personally touched by that because it kind of like rem- reminded me of like a, a, someone that's very close to me that like uh, has a lot of the same qualities. And so I had that personal connection, but it obviously seems like, uh, I'm sure not all audiences have a grandpa like my grandpa. So it shows that he was doing something right, that audiences are really connecting to the movie this way. At the same time, I, I do I, I do want to say, like, I, I kind of get how, like, it is at the same time, maybe just a, a fairly uh, simple story and maybe doesn't really aspire to a ton beyond, you know, just having you be charmed by this guy. Uh, so it's like, okay, what else does the movie have going for? What else can it get right? And I, and I, and I actually, uh, at the same time, I just want to say, I, I really genuinely, genuinely was like pretty charmed also by, uh, Mariana Trevino. Like, I just thought mm. that like, uh, I thought, I thought like, you know, yeah, you kind of know what you're getting with that character when you see the trailer, but at the same time, I think like the trailer doesn't give away too much in the ways that like, you know, she ultimately is going to come to challenge him in certain ways. Like, I mean, I, I feel like, cause this movie, it felt like this trailer played a lot the last half of last year. And I felt like I'd seen parts of it a lot. And I, but I still felt like there was new layers to that character and just the uh, kind of some of the troubles that she was facing and uh, her and the challenges she was going to face too along the way. And just like how he was there for them. Like I, I thought that like, she just found some, that's something pretty interesting in that character that like, uh, could it just been a pretty like simple like oh this woman helps the guy find his way kind of thing? It, it felt like there was more to it than that. And it seems like you might agree, Daniel. Yeah, she she kind of play, in a way she plays the perito role where she's <laughs> kind of helping the you know curmudgeon open up and let people in. Um, and she again, yeah, she is just super fucking charming in this movie. Yeah. I thought that it was. I'm, I'm like watching her. And I'm like, damn, what else has she done? What else is she doing after this? Because I want to see her in everything now. Um, she was so delightful. I I really was taken by her character. I should say, by the way, that I ultimately did like this movie. Um, I, I might have sounded a little bit more negative than I intended. Um, the fact is, even though it is kind of not what I was hoping for, not as good. And I think in uh, being so kind of standard, it kind of leaves a lot on the, I guess, cutting room table. Like we're like, you could have had something a little more resonant. But in spite of that, I mean, cliches are cliches for a reason, right? This shit works. And, um, you know, it, you can't help but be lulled into the sort of rhythm of the story. You know, the guy has a literal save the cat moment, which is, <laughs> I mean, look, hey, I, as a, as, as a, are you really going to get mad if someone saves a cat though? Are you going to get mad? If that's the thing. It's hard for me. It's hard for me to resist when, you know, he reaches over to the side of the bed where his wife used to lay and the cat's there and she reaches his paw out to him. I'm like, Oh, this is going to get at least three and a half. Isn't it? <laughs> okay. Well, so I think we might be beating around the bush a little bit. I feel like if I made a kind of allusion, so like it kind of could have been more, maybe it was a little traditional. I think part of what makes it feel maybe a little, a little traditional is those flashbacks. I'm wondering, uh, 
how, how did you feel those were handled, Daniel? And is there, would you rather done without them? Would you rather been done some different way or did you actually not mind them? Um, yeah, we should, I, we should note in the flashbacks where we see him meet his wife, Sonia, played by Rachel Keller, who's a great actress. You might know from uh, Legion or Fargo or a couple other things. And uh, in young, young Otto is played by Tom Hanks, son, Truman Hanks, who I saw in the credits, but I didn't actually put two and two together for to like. I, I saw that in the credits and I was like, oh, my God, I just learned he has three sons because I only knew, I only <laughs> knew Colin. Colin and I only knew the I knew I knew um, Colin. Chet. No, no, Colin. I knew Colin, Colin and Hanks. Chet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Chad is the one that speaks Patois, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's the he's the fail son of the Hanks dynasty. Um, yeah. And uh, look, this would be one of those elements where I'm like, you didn't really need that, did you? Because I think through, you know, the present day and like Tom Hanks performance, uh, you do get a sense that this is a man who once was far warmer and something had happened that had closed him off. And having these flashbacks, you sort of undercut like the, um, I guess, dramatic irony of the film. Like there's a, toward the end, he has a flashback to like the incident that sort of like started his hardening, the hardening of his heart. And, you know, within 20 minutes, he's describing that flashback to one of the characters. And I'm like, well, what was the, what was the why didn't you just let him just do the explaining or why didn't you just have well i know why you didn't just have the flashback because it was a bad idea it's a bad idea um it's that's just holding the hand of the audience in a way that i don't feel you needed when you have hanks one of the greatest you know one of the most famous greatest actors in hollywood right there right the scene where he like uh explains to marisol what happened is like really well acted by him so mm-hmm. like, why do you need to like, if, if, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, sometimes, sometimes I like to complain about how like you, you don't, what, why are you telling not showing? But like, I thought his telling was like pretty damn good. So why do you need to spend that many minutes on the, this flashback? I don't know. Like Joe, what were your feelings on that? Yeah. You know, the flashbacks, I don't know if we needed them. Um, I will say they're like really nicely acted though. I mean, there was the whole nepotism conversation before the movie. <laughs> and then I was like, Oh, Truman Hanks, you know, holding his own here. With yeah, it's not bad. Not bad. And this, I mean, it might, I don't, again, I, I've actually, actually, I didn't say it before. I've never read, I've never read the book. I've never watched the Swedish film. So it's, it's hard for me to know how much of it is them staying loyal to it. Me uh, neither. What did you think about them having this whole thing of him having like a, a medical condition himself? And do you think that really adds to, adds to the story in any meaningful way where it's like, he's trying to like, maybe it's like, maybe it means something in so much as like, he kind of knows he doesn't have as much time left. So if he's going to like, actually, if the fact that he's even going to like make this effort with these people at some point, it means more, or was it just like kind of unnecessary stakes to you guys? Um, I just thought it was like a funny laugh line. I, I, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of, or is that was, he's like trying to kill himself all along, not knowing at first that he like has this condition or well, he knows, he knew he he has the condition. Yeah. It's oh, right, right, right. more like, um, we've seen it played out in the Grinch, you know, probably a bit more, um, um, capably, I would say, hmm. but I mean, you do get that great moment in the hospital or, or they tell, um, uh, Mariana Trevino's character that his heart is too big. And she has that like charming laughing fit that induces labor for her. <laughs> but, <laughs> but beyond, beyond that, Joe, like, what do you feel about like the need to even have that medical condition in the first place? Like the fact that he is reckoning with the fact that he is dying. Um, is that a, do you feel like that's a bit of a hat on a hat? 
Yeah, I don't know if we needed it. Um, I mean, I would have to read the novel to see what the author's original intent was or if it was even included in there. But like ultimately, like the way this movie was constructed, I didn't think we really needed it. It was more of because, um, you know, he's very clearly trying to kill himself at the beginning of the movie. And then he learns to, you know, love through this family and stuff. And is and then like at that point, like he's a man in his 60s. He probably could have just died from something. You know, I don't know why they hung a hat on it. If that's um, yeah, in terms of that outline. I also have brought it up kind of because I, I told I told uh, Daniel this before he had seen the movie. But, Joe, this movie ended a nearly eight year streak I had of not going to the bathroom while at the theater for a movie during my first viewing of that movie. Like oh, I, 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 I'm like, I usually have it down to a science. Like I, I'll, I'll even like drink like basically half a Coke I see before the movie starts and then refill it before the movie starts. And I still never have to go to the movies normally, bathroom during the movies normally. But this one, I, for some reason I messed something up and I had to go. And the time I picked to go to the bathroom was like, the during like the the two minutes the <laughs> it was it was during the two minutes which like they're confronting the real estate guy and uh i guess apparently he's like walking away after telling the guy off and then he faints and has his episode ends up in the hospital oh um, you missed that okay i, mi- I missed him I, I i got back when they were like talking to him in the hospital bed and oh. uh yeah and so it was like all right well, i think i kind of like got what happened i'm like i don't know if i really even like felt like i missed out on that much by missing that scene and i never miss a movie scene so usually i'm like really hard on my i would normally be like pretty hard on myself about that um so i, I so i was like i don't know i mean did this really add that much if like i feel like i didn't even miss out on that much because this is you know it, it felt like it was kind of all leading up to that moment and then it was resolved within like three seconds you know yeah uh, i do think that this movie has a bit of a um return of the king problem i don't know why this movie takes so long to fucking end <laughs> Like this movie, it's like two hours. And I'm like, there is at most 100 minutes of story here. To be yeah. fair, Otto himself took a long time to end in a way. You know, <laughs> fair enough. The and the gun. Well, well, and, well how do you guys feel about that? Like, do you guys, I mean, <laughs> I, I guess I don't even know if I actually, you know what? I say I've seen the trailer a lot. I still might have actually like not remembered it if they did show the suicide oh, stuff that no, much. No, in the no, no, no. They did, they did their best to hide that. They wanted you to yeah. think this was tom hanks playing a, a curmudgeonly old man who learns to love again okay. they did they they fought to like <laughs> make sure that they didn't include there's like a single second or frame of him like inching towards the subway like mm. line and oh. then that's it that's the only hint you get if you don't know going in okay i wasn't sure if i was forgetting something from the trailer but it was just so it was like that is like still like i mean it's, it's kind of funny that they marketed it that way with america's dad uh and then like have something like that dark going on i mean in a way it's dark humor to have him like nearly killing himself and then keep getting interrupted i mean uh but like that's still a pretty delicate tightrope to walk when you're kind of probably kind of somewhat marketing it towards families in a way uh how did you feel like they 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 just like even handle those scenes, Joe, because I feel like that's like it's fairly sensitive subject matter. But it, yeah, you, it can be played for dark humor if you do it the right way. Yeah. And um, like they they do a good job of kind of you know, making them a bit humorous, like when he's sitting there with the gun and then suddenly the door, there's the knock at the door and he fires the gun or I, I forget exactly what happens. But I thought that was kind of funny. He shoots a hole in the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And then if we want to talk about the Tom Hanks persona as he's doing all this. I know he's not going to off himself in the first 10 minutes of the movie, but here I am still rooting. I'm like, come on, dude, like, don't, don't do it. Don't <laughs> do it. And I think that's where the Tom Hanks thing does come into play where I was like, okay, like it's Tom doing this. And I'm like, Tom, 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 Thomas, stop. <laughs> Thomas. Uh, how about, how about, uh, we keep talking about all this stuff. Cause this movie, they, you're right. It's, it's, it's two hours and six minutes. Um, how about, uh, Otto Anderson, uh, being a friend of the, uh, trans community? 
that I mean, oh. <laughs> did, I, 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 I don't want to say that stuff was necessarily like handled poorly, but it does feel like kind of shorthand to like try and convince you you need to like this guy at the same time. Uh, yeah, there's a, I, this movie has some weird politics, doesn't it? Because they, <laughs> they, they make sure to include a scene where like, hey, he's an ally, guys. But they also have like like that scene at the subway platform where like a guy falls into the subway line and then Tom Hanks saves him instead of killing himself, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and like while he's doing it, there's like all these like young people, TikTokers, like just like filming it and not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they portray the husband of Marisol as like this kind of soy boy, you're, like you can't do anything around the house. <laughs> and like there's like this general sense that's definitely like um I forgot what movie it was. Uh, I think it was um, the uh, the tennis movie that you and I watched, and we did a podcast with Mo where I was talking about this black lady King, behind King me that was that was going mm-hmm, like to all the <laughs> like kind of like lines that were playing to the older crowd. And this movie is playing very hard to that older crowd, that kind of conserve socially conservative, sort of set in their ways crowd who doesn't like these new generation of TikTokers and influencers and like what the hell is even a social media journalist? As if <laughs> as if it's not self-evident from the fucking words. But yeah. um yeah and and yet they take pains to like make sure to like hey this man ally you know he's got that rainbow bumper this, 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 this white boomer who uh you know was just like li- living in uh suburban pittsburgh huge he eye. knows what's up yeah and <laughs> i gotta say if you're I, if you're gonna tell me that you can't believe tom hanks as a curmudgeon old man i can't believe a curmudgeon old man like this being like completely understanding of it hey i welcome it you know the representation angle I, i'm appreciative but um, I got to say, it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm not sure that that really fits into the world of this film yeah, and this I, character. But yeah, I, I was like, I mean, obviously, like, I'm 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 fine with the message, but I'm like, I it seems like, again, like they're I don't know. It seems like you're probably just like didn't trust the audience to like get what this guy's essence was and wanted to like make sure you like didn't think he was a bad guy. Because they'd shown him being rude for like two for two hours. Yeah, and they like, give him a bla- and they give him a black best friend too, just to just to double <laughs> down. You know, look, I'm not. And again, like if you're gonna cut something, I'd say get rid of the flashbacks. Like this is, I don't mind necessarily, but I think it just speaks to a larger issue with this film trying to do too much. Joe, anything else about this movie that we didn't already touch on that you want that you wanted to mention? Uh, I know, I know, you're a big Thomas Newman guy. Did the score do much for you? Oh yeah, no, I've been listening to it. It's you know I'm a big Thomas Newman guy. Oh, um, I gotta. Di- oh man, I gotta oh, disagree man. with you there. Oh, no. I gotta be honest with you. This was one of the elements of the film that I thought was one of the worst. Um, really? Because you know it's like that kind of classic sort of like, hey, it's a happy little moment. We gotta get the bouncy score. Do, 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 do. <laughs> hey, it's a sad moment. We gotta we gotta pour on the. It's a very I think pedestrian uh, score that kind of like is doing its best to like signpost to the audience what you're supposed to feel in this moment. And I think that honestly, a film like this, I don't know that you even needed a score. There are multiple scenes where like I'm listening to the score and I'm like, I think this would play both funnier or or alternatively sadder or like more heartwarming if you just sat in this moment with these characters and you didn't have this music. Um, Pretty much every scene I think would have been better served with nothing rather than what was given. (laughs) Yeah. So sorry for, you know, pouring cold water on you there. No, no, it's all right. It's not, not everything is for everybody. And that's totally, Mm -hmm. Uh, but the last thing I'll say about this film, Oh, there's one, there's one point I wanted to make real quick. Um, The social media stuff felt the most strained, felt like the most strained part of the movie to me. Like an old people like trying to 
right yeah. about social media. Like yeah. they should have brought someone else in to consult about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just, I, even as someone in my early thirties and not gen, and I'm not gen Z or anything. I was just watching this being like, yeah, this, yeah, okay. But um, ultimately like with this, I, I really appreciate that. I think, yeah, this is a feel good crowd pleaser. And it's one of those middle movies that we just don't get anymore. Um, and like we need stuff like this. And like, if you look at the box office numbers for both this and Puss in Boots, like they're both doing bang up business. I think this, there's something about, um, I saw someone um, reference the other day that Puss in Boots, like the fourth weekend tally was larger than some of the best performance, best performing box office movies of the last year. Yeah. And then this movie too is like kind of doing numbers at the box office. So well, like, I mean, it's at 70 something million worldwide on a $50 million budget with how many ads we've seen for it. I don't know. It probably needs to, uh, it probably needs okay. to do a bit more business to like really come out ahead, but like, that's still not, not, not bad for like a, a Tom Hanks movie. Like that's not like something that's like some of the stuff that we skipped over the last couple of years, you know, like we, right. where we didn't do the podcast on like that, uh, that movie Finch. I could not tell you what Finch was about. If you put a gun to my head or I know, I know Greyhound was kind of oh. like more of a, uh, an action movie in its own right that like, made about the same amount of money this movie's made, but I'm sure had like a hell of a big, a lot bigger budget and his Apple TV plus production action movie. Like, so it's cool that like he, he's having so much critical in at least a similar commercial success with this thing, which it would be, it would seem easier in some way. I don't know if it actually would be easier, but like, I don't know in theory, like in theory, you should be able to make this movie for like less than $50 million. I would think, I mean, I think a lot of that might go to paying Tom Hanks, but like, I think a lot of it goes to Tom Hanks. Also uh, mind boggling note, this f- movie was shot on film. <laughs> well, why why was this movie shot on oh, film? Wow. What can you tell? Like, no, you can't. It's not like Tom, a Tom Cruise movie where you're like, oh, I can see the grain. Like, you know, I feel it like in the sun. This movie could have been digital. Like, I mean, no, come authentically on. capture Pittsburgh, you know, <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess it's like Tom Hanks, I, I guess, deserves a big payday, but it's like your producer probably can get some points on it. Like maybe like, I don't know. Like, I feel like, you know, if you just take like, you know, $10 million for the acting part of it. And then, you know, it might be more profitable. I don't know. Uh, but like, again, like make $70 million for a movie about uh, with this subject matter, I think it's pretty damn impressive. And, you know, hopefully even though he's in his mid sixties now, hopefully Tom Hanks keeps figuring out ways to get this done. So, you know, you'll get something that's enjoyable like this, as opposed to like, you know, the others he'd been having over the last, you know, couple of years um, that were just, you know, just something that felt uh, that that no one no one ever told me like, oh you got to go see that Tom Hanks movie you skipped you know uh, so <laughs> What's I this Finch come on <laughs> there was... so, so, so did you 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 did see Finch was it good I I enjoyed it I thought it, uh, again this is what I'm talking about where he's been like playing against type for like a couple of years now and people oh, so that, that, was, the... that was that was an against type performance okay good to know that was yeah. the robot dog movie yeah yeah okay yeah I've been meaning to get to that one obviously yeah. that seems dog. like one you that seems like something just that that just seems like something you would have made me watch. <laughs> Look, it's an it's an Apple TV movie like, you know, getting onto that service like, uh, like, you know, I, I will say before we go that like on on the how this film treated like suicide. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like I, I, I think that there are two ways it could have gone that I think would have been a bit richer. Either they could have gone far darker and more comedic. Um, which I honestly, I just assume is the tone of the original film, because if you watch those kind of uh, Scandinavian films, like they tend to get pretty dark. Um, They have a wry sense of humor to them. So I feel like if you went blacker on the comedy, like, you know, maybe some a little more like you played the uh, suicides with more physical comedy, maybe I don't know, like it would have been a little more impactful. Granted, I did like in that first suicide attempt, he like, you know, tries to hang himself. 
that the rope like falls from the ceiling. He lands on the newspaper he laid out and then he notices a coupon and he cuts it out. Like that's yeah. funny. That's funny. He can't he can't fight his instinct. Uh, and the fact that he's haggling over like how expensive the rope is when he's gonna kill himself like it shouldn't matter but it's a matter of i like those little moments but i still think that like if they had been a little darker a little more comedic like maybe it would have been stronger more resonant to me or alternatively like if they played it more dramatic and more somber you know i think that that would have but again they're just trying to go for that you know crowd pleasing audience and it's one of those things you're like, I don't know that this is the story for that. I feel like the story fighting against the constraints of this mode of filmmaking. But at the same time, like, I mean, it, it is capable enough. Tom Hanks is there. Marisol is there. Um, there is a lot of stuff that made me chuckle, at least. Um, I I wish it was a little shorter and a little more concise and focused. Uh, and took a little bit more risks, had a bit more of a personality. Still good though. Still, still fine. Still fine though. Sure. Uh, yeah. Well, that is a man called Otto. I by the time people listen to this, it might be hanging around a few theaters still, but it's not quite streaming yet. So uh, I think we'd all, I think we all recommend it. Obviously, even if we all had our, uh, we, we all had our criticisms along the way. Joe, anything else before we get out of here? You'd like to recommend to the listeners you've been watching recently? Have you had time to watch anything, given that you've been on uh, new dad duty? Uh, well, I'll say that I watched All Quiet on the Western Front um, over the weekend, and uh, like I thought it was pretty solid. You know, there were some good moments in there, um, but I guess it kind of made me think about 1917 a lot, though, which that movie almost like 1917 specifically, it was almost too heralded. Uh, it, it became like the Oscar movie everybody hated, I felt like, that year, and then because they were worried that Parasite was going to lose because of it, so um I don't know. I, I guess I'm just comparing World War One movies you're, now. You're a little confused as to like why we needed that when we just had 1917, kind of because they were similar. I'm confused as why we needed 1917. Sorry, I was one of the haters. <laughs> my apologies. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's not even a movie I necessarily loved. I don't even think it made my top ten that year. But I was just kind of thinking about like depictions of World War One and how we've like you know film made film made or filmmaking or whatever uh world war ii to death and we've done like, a lot of world war one just in the last few years and in various yeah. different things too like i enough so that like i've been able to just call fred fred now like the world war one correspondent on the podcast because there's just <laughs> a think, ton of them yeah i think i don't know i've been wondering about that also i think it is that i maybe now that like it's outside of living memory like we can look back on it without that i don't know a personal sort of element like you know it was a very confusing war <laughs> i'll give yeah. it that like you know the, it's sort of nebulous why people were fighting and i guess for a while it was hard to make a story about that but you know in the wake of like you know 20 year war on terror like i think people are ready to sort of explore that sort of like nebulous kind of fog of war kind of thing like why are we even fighting sort of story where I don't think that past decades um, people were ready for that kind of narrative. Hmm. Well, also you got to see you got to see Warhorse, bro. Oh, I've seen Warhorse. I've seen Warhorse. Brilliant movie. Really, his best. <laughs> it is Spielberg's best movie, hands down. <laughs> oh, no. This, this feels like a new. This feels like a new pod. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for the call. I'm waiting for the warhorse Dan, call. Dan, Daniel has a hard out, so he can't. Unfortunately, he can't go along on a warhorse tonight. Uh, Daniel, anything you've been watching recently that you want to direct us to? Um, yeah, actually, I did recently finally get around to seeing Cholet, 
which is the Hindi language uh, Indian epic from 1975. Uh, it's kind of a, I think the term is a curry Western. You know, it's a masala movie. So like you have the dancing, you have the action, you have the romance and the comedy, but um, it's set in like this sort of like frontier sort of environment. Uh, it's a small village where like two crooks have been hired by this former police officer to like protect the town from this bandit leader. And, you know, like the, these two have this unshakable bond, but they find love in this village. And, uh, you know, they're faced against this very dastardly bandito. And, uh, you know, it is just an absolute tour de force of filmmaking. Uh, the dance scenes, the singing scenes are incredible. The characters are all so larger than life and dynamic. I all, They're all played by like superstars at the time, but the only one I'm familiar with is Amit Bakshan, who is, you know, just so great on screen. I really do love him. I'm very taken by his screen presence. Um, and like, it is just everything I could have possibly wanted for a movie. I haven't felt this excited watching a, a movie since, I guess, Ega or RRR, which were made by, you know, an Indian filmmaker themselves. So I really, really loved uh, Cholet. I cannot recommend it enough. Um, and beyond that, I do also want to give a shout out to EO the uh, Polish film about a donkey, which has been, of course, compared to Al Hazard Balthazar, the Brisson movie about the same subject matter. But I think that that does a disservice to EO, both because EO, unlike that film, is a it's very much more they're trying to sell you on the pers- like show you the perspective of this animal, whereas Brisson's is far more cold and reserved and, uh, you know, isn't absolutely not trying to sell you on any of the emotion or interiority of this donkey. Mm. This film actually does put you in its perspective. It's still an alien landscape to it that it's traversing. It's running from, you know, encounter to encounter and not fully comprehending what's going on. But um, through it, you get a sort of, you know, sense of the, uh, I guess, senselessness of the human world. Uh, there are some absolutely gorgeous cinematography, um, some really nightmarish imagery. Um, and it is was just like one of the most harrowing experiences I had in a movie theater uh, in the past year. I cannot recommend enough. It actually did break my top 10. Uh, I really loved EO. And uh, oh, and also it's a disservice to the film to compare it to Alvazar Balthazar because Alvazar Balthazar sucks. So, OK, um, shots strong. fired, Brisson, you asshole. Strong take right there on a movie I don't even know about existed until a few seconds ago. Oh, it's nominated um, for Best International Film, man. Come on. I, 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 I'm still catching up on some of those. I mean, I, I, I've watched. Well, no, Decision to Leave got stubbed. So I, 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 I what, what, what have I seen? Did you see besides? any of them? I've yeah, seen all quite a nice front. I feel like I feel like I've seen one other one that might be in, in the five. I'm just not thinking of it at the moment. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, I don't really have a lot of new recommendations today. Just like as far as like things I feel really strongly about. I saw a woman talking on Friday night. I thought it was good, uh, though. I mean, we're gonna have a podcast on it at some point. Just like I, it's uh, I think the less said about it, the better at this point. Just you know, I think it's uh, I think it's I think I I don't I I. I that sounds like a motherfucker who doesn't like it and doesn't want to say it. No, I, I just like it's it's just like. When the name of the movie just explains what the movie is, there's only so much you can really say. Like I think, like without like giving stuff away. Like I think people right, kind of know. Got you. I feel like people kind of know what it's about, but I think I mean, you know, it's a it's it's for for what it is and how it's like imagined. I think it's pretty good. You know, uh, pretty pr- pretty interestingly told story about like what 
power dynamics, even, but it's, it's, it's all within a society, which, you know, most people like us can't really relate to, but it's, I think, I think it's pretty, I think, I think, I think it, I think it sets out what accomplishes to do pretty well. But uh, I'll also say like, we already talked about on one of the last couple episodes, we talked about the last of us. And at the time people are listening to this, I think episodes four, at least episode four will have aired, but episode three aired last night as of the recording of this and episode three of the last of us, probably one of the best episodes of television I've seen in the last five years. So uh, people should go, people should go give it a shot if they haven't, if you have access to HBO. So uh, that's all we got for now. Uh, Daniel, do you want to plug anything social media wise? Oh, felonious funk. Uh, letterbox that's my letterbox yeah find them in there joe want to plug your letterbox your twitter yeah um j letter j parker morgan is my letterbox and um yeah i should be posting my top 10 pretty soon depending on when uh josh is recording that episode so uh and thanks to everyone for listening coming up next on the podcast might make uh josh uh do an episode on white noise because i kind of want to be a no bombot completist on this podcast i still haven't watched it yet we're still in daniel season for sure so i'm sure we'll hear from him again in the next winnie the uh, poop blood and honey man waiting for that one (laughs) i I don't even know what that is but we'll talk in a minute uh again thanks everyone for listening thanks to josh and daniel for joining we'll see you next time